Welcome to Reflections from My Art Table, a podcast that explores the deep healing gifts of art making and the magic of creativity. I'm Emma Freeman, a queer mixed media artist and art educator. I work in many different mediums and have a slow, quiet practice rooted in solitude, deep listening, and play. I hope that this podcast brings you some connection and resonance and helps in some small way on your own creative path. Hello, I'm back. I don't know if anyone ever notices when there's a gap in episodes, Um, but anyway, I took a little hiatus unexpectedly, but um, I'm back with more episodes. And um, I wanted to share a little bit about what I've been up to in my art practice um, before I jump into this week's topic. So I've been spending a lot of time in the land of fibers in new ways that has been exciting and really wonderful. I've been um, weaving for the first time and oh my God, I'm loving it so much. I've uh, been drawn to weaving for the last few years I've bought a lot of weavings from around the world. I've interviewed weavers. I've um, collect a lot of images of weavings on Pinterest and books about weaving. So I I can see that, you know, I've really been drawn to it, um, but I haven't, you know, I've I've looked into techniques to learn basic um, loom weaving on different small looms. And there's something about traditional looms that just didn't and doesn't speak to me. But um, uh, recently, I was just playing around at my art table, like I always do. Um, and I I have these really beautiful natural stone tiles that somebody gave me, a whole bunch of them. And I've had them for a couple of years and been wondering what I could do with them. And I started wrapping um, some uh, thread around one of them recently and then the idea popped in my mind that I could weave on or try to weave directly onto the stone so use the stone tile as the loom and that kicked off this really beautiful experimentation and I'm loving it I'm, I'm using a lot of different fibers including this gorgeous organic linen yarn that I found through a company called Maywa M-A-I-W-A in Canada make this gorgeous yarn that is dyed all with natural dyes and um, comes in these beautiful colors it's got a really subtle texture Um, so I've been using those I've also been using this amazing nettle yarn from the Himalayas that has an extraordinary texture and Um, I've been using some hemp twine and sashiko thread and embroidery thread, just playing around with lots of different things. And I'm really loving that the weavings, they're really small. The tiles are like four by four inches. And I love that the, um, the whole thing becomes like the loom and the weaving is one piece. And it's almost like this mixed media sculpture and the stone has this, you know, natural element because it's stone. So it feels um, like it brings in nature into the piece too in a different way. So anyways, I'm just loving it. And I've also been experimenting with weaving on found natural objects 
um, I guess the stone tiles are sort of found natural objects in a way, um, but other ones like a bird's nest. So I found, uh, I think it was a robin's nest on the ground last spring, and I brought it into my bedroom slash art studio, just had it sitting with me. I really love that it's a sculpture made by another artist in the world um, with found materials, and I love the shape of it and the energy of the birds, bringing that into this space and the energy of a nest that it's this safe space where um, where new things are created and birthed and I think this um, space in my bedroom where I've been creating my art really feels like a nest so anyways I had that nest with me and then I was looking at it one day as I had been weaving on these tiles and I thought I wonder if I could weave on the nest in the opening and so I did it super carefully and it worked and I used this incredible Tibetan yak down fiber it's a yarn that I discovered excuse me through a friend um, who uh, Cheryl Janice who's a fiber artist who I interviewed actually and I'll be sharing her interview soon um, she shared this fiber with me and it is so soft and um, what I love about it, I mean, it, it, it's beautiful, it's really soft, it has a really interesting, natural, kind of weavy texture, it's kind of chunky, but I also love the story behind it. It is collected um, in Tibet by nomadic women, and they the fur falls off of the yak um, naturally, so they don't have to shear them. And then they, um, these women walk around and gather the fur off of the ground and then they weave it into this beautiful fiber and it um, is a way for them to get really valuable, important income for themselves and their families. It's a way to honor these animals and be really kind to them. Um, and it's just really beautiful, the whole thing. So I created that weaving. I also have been making weavings on bits of tree bark that I found on the ground with lichen all over them. Such beautiful like ochre covered colored lichen, olive green lichen and I just love it. And um, I made really small ones and then also really large ones and my favorite so far has been this piece of um, bark from an ash tree that I found lying in the woods and just outside of our house. Um, and there are there's an insect here in Wisconsin, maybe in other places too, that sadly burrows into the bark of the ash trees and kills them. But I found, so I was walking around one day in the yard and I noticed this piece of bark that had this amazing pattern on the inside of the bark that looks like mark making it's all these little tunnels and fascinating little marks and that drew me in to look at it and pick it up I think it's been sitting there for a couple of years at least and then I thought I wonder if I could weave on it so I was able to make a really small weaving at the top of this long piece of tree bark um it was amazing and you can see pictures of all of these weavings if you're curious on my website emmafreemandesigns.com or on Instagram, I've shared most of them too. Um, I also wove on, I found a, an old brick in this kind of junk pile on the side of the house. It was from, I don't know, a house at some point. 
and um, I wove on that and that was really interesting. So I'm really exploring that world and then I've also been making fiber sculptures and fiber wall hangings with different amazing fibers from around the world and that I'm discovering and that has been a beautiful new soft and deep language that I'm learning to communicate in and explore and I'm really loving that. Um, one of the pieces I made recently was a, a cocoon shape out of cheesecloth that I dyed with indigo and then sculpted into this cocoon shape and then stitched to give it dimension and I hung it from a birch stick and then I took it outside the other day and hung it from a tree because I wanted to see what it would look like if it was in a natural environment since it had the cocoon natural shape. It was magic. I found this tree to hang it on and the sunlight was hitting it in certain spots and the breeze was making it move and the birds were singing and it just gave it a whole new different meaning and life to have nature surrounding it and being part of the experience of looking at it and feeling it. So I really love that. I took, I brought the piece back in, so it was just a temporary thing. I made a little video and um, took some photos. If you want to see it, it's on Instagram and on my website too. Um, and other than that, I've been teaching a lot of online art classes, which have been wonderful. Um, a lot of them through different art centers, and I've got um, many classes coming up for the rest of the spring and the summer, all live on Zoom. Um, you can see my schedule, if you're curious, on my website. Um, but I'm also working on some recorded classes for the first time, so I'm looking forward to releasing those um, sometime in the future, hopefully not too far down the road. I'll be sure to share when those are available. So that's what I've been up to. Um, so let's jump into this week's topic. So I want to talk about being a highly sensitive person. So about four-ish years ago, my partner at the time mentioned that she thought I might be highly sensitive. And I had never heard that term. I had no idea what it meant. And she shared this book with me called The Highly Sensitive Person by Dr. Elaine Aaron. And I started to read it and I took the self-guided test at the beginning of the book um, to see if you're highly sensitive. And I answered true to every single statement. And as I continued to read the book, I thought, holy crap, she's talking about me. <laughs> and this book really made me go back into my life and put together so many puzzle pieces. And having this term, highly sensitive person, really empowered me and helped me understand myself so much better. And so for those who don't know what it means to be highly sensitive, or maybe you want a refresher, or you just want to hear that hear something read that might resonate with you if you already know you're highly sensitive, this is from Elaine Aaron's book. Fact, people differ in how much their nervous system is aroused in the same situation, under the same stimulation. What this difference in arousability means is that you notice levels of stimulation that go unobserved by others. This is true whether we are talking about subtle sounds, sights, or physical sensations like pain. It is not that your hearing, vision, or physical sensations are more acute. The difference seems to be in the brain in a more careful, careful processing of information. We reflect more on everything. She's also highly sensitive, by the way, the author. And we sort things into finer distinctions. 
This greater awareness of the subtle tends to make you more intuitive, which simply means picking up and working through information in a semi-conscious or unconscious way. Furthermore, this deep processing of subtle details causes you to consider the past or future more. You quote-unquote just know how things got to be the way that they are and how they are going to turn out. This is that sixth sense people talk about. It can be wrong, of course, just as your eyes and ears can be wrong, but your intuition is right often enough that HSPs, or highly sensitive people, tend to be visionaries, highly intuitive artists or inventors, as well as more conscientious, cautious, and wise people. And then she talks about these four categories that really help define high sensitivity. So they are depth of processing, overstimulation, emotional reactivity, and sensing the subtle. So D-O-E-S, she goes into depth about each of those. And I found a lot of resonance and meaning within each of those. Um, and I want to share the questions that she asks on the test. Um, so they are... So how to know if you're highly sensitive. I seem to be aware of subtleties in my environment. Other people's moods affect me. I tend to be very sensitive to pain. I find myself needing to withdraw during busy days into bed or into a darkened room or any place where I can have some privacy and relief from stimulation. I am particularly sensitive to the effects of caffeine. I am easily overwhelmed by things like bright lights, strong smells, coarse fabrics, or sirens close by. I have a rich, complex inner life. I am made uncomfortable by loud noises. I am deeply moved by the arts or music. I am conscientious. I startle easily. I get rattled when I have a lot to do in a short amount of time. When people are uncomfortable in a physical environment, I tend to know what needs to be done to make it more comfortable, like changing the lighting or the seating. I am annoyed when people try to get me to do too many things at once. I try hard to avoid making mistakes or forgetting things. I make it a point to avoid violent movies or TV shows. I become unpleasantly aroused when a lot is going on around me. Being very hungry creates a strong reaction in me, disrupting my concentration or mood. Changes in my life shake me up. I notice and enjoy delicate or fine scents, tastes, sounds, or works of art. I make it a high priority to arrange my life to avoid upsetting or, to avoid upsetting or overwhelming situations. When I must compete or be observed while performing a task, I become so nervous or shaky that I do much worse than I would otherwise. When I was a child, my parents or teachers seemed to see me as sensitive or shy. So those are all of the statements that you can answer in. I answered all those true. I wonder if, if you are sensitive or if you know someone, if you, how you would answer those questions. So I thought I would reflect and share some of the ways that um, because of that test in this book, I, I was able to see how sensitivity has shown up for me in my life and in my art. So as a child, um, actually I remember a story being shared recently by my parents um, that when my twin sister and I were babies, that I would cry more intensely than her, that my, my cry had this like piercing quality to it. And, you know, doing all the inner work around the sensitivity, now it makes me think, oh, right, that was always there. I was feeling probably more intensely that pain 
Um, so that I thought was interesting. Um, I was as a kid, I was also very sensitive to music, so I would listen to it a lot on headphones by myself and listen for subtle, I loved subtle key changes. I really loved soul music and anything with like an orchestral quality that was mixed with soul. I loved the song We Are the World (laughs) and a lot of Michael Jackson songs and also like Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin, music that had like a depth of feeling. And I would listen to a single song on repeat and just listen for those subtle changes. And often this still happens. If I hear the violin or the cello, it'll make me cry. Um, I've also been always in tune with animals and really feel their pain if they're suffering. So that could be if I see something in person or in a movie or a TV show or read something in a book. Um, as a kid, I would cry really easily at movies. I still do. Um, but I remember watching E.T. with my family when I was really young and crying really hard when E.T. was in the incubator. And nobody else in my family was crying the way that I was. And that, that difference stuck out to me. And I also remember as a teenager going to see the movie Titanic with some of my friends. And at the end, I was sobbing, like guttural, deep uncontrollable sobbing into my friend's shoulder and I felt so strongly the suffering that the people endured and kept thinking about how that event actually happened to real people and it just devastated me and I remember my friend like tapping me on the shoulder like there there and said it's just a movie and to me that I felt so embarrassed and I felt like that was saying like stop being so sensitive and this is not that big of a deal. <laughs> and none of my friends were crying how I was. And I, I just felt total embarrassment. And I started to create this coping mechanism for myself when I watched movies in public. If I felt tears coming on, I would look up in the corners of the movie theater and think about something else and try desperately to keep myself from crying. I also did this if I was watching a movie with a friend or with a partner or anyone. If I was with anyone but myself, I would do this. And I told myself I was a loud crier because I felt like, you know, I would almost sound like I was hyperventilating when I would cry. So I used that, you know, I just felt ashamed and embarrassed about that. Um, And if I couldn't hold back the tears, I would run to the bathroom and cry alone and release it. Um, And I don't remember ever in a movie theater seeing another person cry openly. I'm sure maybe there was somebody in the dark there, but I don't have any memories of that or like people close to me really like, you know, crying intensely the way that I would. And that really impacted me not having that example in my community, in my circle. And I still notice that now when I watch TV shows, like and I watch a lot of HGTV shows and I notice that a lot of people will say, Um, like before or during the reveal of their space or whatever, they'll say, oh, I promised myself I wouldn't cry or I really didn't want to cry. And I think that's, it's such a part of our culture to not, like, why is that a bad thing to have an emotional response to be touched and moved by an experience and let that be expressed openly And why have we trained 
each other and ourselves to not let that flow naturally. And we see that so much in the way that men, boys are conditioned to be, to not cry, to not show their sensitivity. And I think that that is slowly evolving. Um, but I noticed that um, a lot. I've also always had strong opinions about colors and patterns, food and textures that started. I remember that as a kid and that still holds true. Um, and then when I was 19, I started drinking and really loved the effect for a lot of different reasons. But one of them, I think, looking back was that it softened the edges of the world for me. I no longer was absorbing so much information and stimulation I felt like I could just be, be more myself, be more open, more loose, more free. I could talk more openly. I could be, you know, like I could dance in public and just feel like uninhibited. It also did an incredible amount of damage to me, it turned out. But, um, and then as a photographer, which is my first um, art chapter, creative career, um, I would, you know, I photographed a lot of people, weddings and events and families and headshots, different things like that. And I would notice the subtle shifts in people's emotions and their body language that would impact the images that I made. Um, I'd also notice subtle lighting in different environments. So if like a tiny little speck of sunlight was on someone's cheek or a shadow was like coming across someone's neck in a way, you know, and those things that I would notice them and then do something about them or they would bother me in an image if I saw them. Also, if something felt awkward in an environment, um, either be like within one person or between two people, or maybe it was something physical like a tiny strand of hair that was out of place or a book on a bookshelf that was just like slightly wonky. All those things were um, just how I saw things. And I didn't know that that's because I was sensitive or attuned to the environment in subtle ways. It just happened. Um, and that really helped me be a successful photographer, but it also took huge toll on me because like with, um, I photographed a lot of weddings and that experience was, um, you know, exhilarating for me because there was so much going on all at once that I was swimming in all these family dynamics and emotions and all these different people and in this physical environment, um, you know, it was decorated and everyone was fancy and there are these emotional moments that I'm expected to capture in an instant and being prepared for that and in the right place and helping people feel comfortable and noticing a slight shift in someone's mood and, you know, knowing or trying to do things to make them feel better. And I loved it. I thrived in that way, in that world for a long time, but it also took a huge toll. And the next day I would have, um, be completely deplete. I mean, worn out, like I couldn't function. My eyeballs hurt, my entire physical body hurt, but also energetically, I was just wiped out. And, um, so that was, that was a huge chapter and how creatively, you know, how my, how that sensitivity helps me, but also, you know, I would push it to the limits and then it would, you know, my system would shut itself down to recover. 
I also just in general would absorb different people's energy when I was around them. New people, especially, I felt like I would like take on their movements or subtle ways that they were talking sometimes. And I didn't know why I was doing it, but I felt impacted by them and in ways I couldn't describe, but I would notice that I would do that and I just thought it was weird and a quirk. I don't know. Um, I also always have and felt uh, have felt intense emotions and in, you know, I mean, really until a few years ago, I had no idea how to regulate them. I didn't know that emotional regulation was a thing. I'd never heard of it. And I was just on these loops of having intense feelings and then acting on them. And I would make these impulsive choices based on them, but they would happen really quickly like this intense wave, this intense emotion would show up and fill my whole self. And I thought, oh, this is me. This is something that I'm feeling. So I need to act on this. And then really quickly after that, another intense feeling would show up and I'd feel like, oh, this is me. Okay. I need to act on this. And again, and again, and again. And that, you know, there were these pendulum swings, you know, I would go from these intense, like receive these emotions that were joy, like really high joy and passion and then depression and anxiety and overwhelm and shame and guilt and all these things. And I thought I was just, you know, being true to who I was. Um, but my choices were really causing harm to myself and to others because there were these swings and I was so unrooted and ungrounded in myself. And it took me um, you know, all like years of therapy and deep inner work to start to learn about and through meditation to learning that I'm not my emotions or thoughts and that I, you know, they'll come and go and that there's a deeper part of me underneath them and that I have agency whether I choose to respond to them and act on them or not. And that thoughts and emotions are attached to and birthed from so many different things that it's not as simple as it just being me, you know, being true to who I am. So that was huge. But, um, and I also felt uh, really depleted after social activities, still do. Um, and I think, you know, one of the ways, one of the, the things that or spaces for me that really depletes me is going to art museums um in addition now to like bars and parties and things I used to really love that I can't do anymore um but art museums in particular they I feel like I have to take a nap after I go to them because I will go in and stand in front of an art piece and not only look at the art piece but I realize that I like dive into the world. I start to imagine what the artist was thinking about and seeing and what their space looked, what their studio was like and who their friends were and what they wore and what they ate and what their art materials looked like and what their culture was like and what they did when they weren't making art. You know, all these things start going through me and then I move on to the next piece of art and the next one. And there's so much coming at me in addition to the you know the lighting and the air of the museum all the people there what energy they're carrying and um yeah it just like knocks me out 
Um, and in my 20s, I started to talk to myself to process some of this. I didn't know it was sensitivity, but just kind of like there was so much coming at me that I it just would like bubble over. So when I was in the car, often I would just start talking just to get some of it out. So I felt like with the limited language that I had back then, if I tried to talk about some of it with people in my life, I felt like nobody knew what I was talking about or could relate. And I mostly just felt weirder. Like, hmm, okay, well, even more alone. And it wasn't their fault. They didn't know either. So anyways, I used that as a tool to help myself kind of release some of the stimulation. Um, and then I... In my 30s, I lived in New York for a little while, and oh man, I loved the new stimulation of that city because holy crap, is there a lot of it. So just walking down the street or being on the subway, just all of this new, all these people and buildings and culture and food and, you know, it's just so much. I was a sponge and my sensitivity loved it. It also was um, uh, overwhelming at times and made me feel scattered, but... Um, that was, that was a big, like, uh, experience for the sensitivity, I think. Um, and then I, you know, when I started therapy and learning about highly sensitive people and nervous system activation and empaths and attachment theory and coping mechanisms, all these things, then I feel like my sensitivity actually started to wake up in a new way that it had been dormant, even though things were still coming at me a lot, I really wasn't conscious of it. And through this healing process, it started to become conscious. And um, I realized that I really had shoved it away or locked it away deep inside of me without realizing it. And it was, it was ready to come into the light. And it really did shock me through a few experiences. One of them was going to this roller derby bout with um, my partner at the time, this was a couple years ago, and leading up to it, I thought, oh yeah, I'll go. It wasn't my thing, but I was going to go because it was her thing, but it would be fun. And so we got there, sat down in the seats, and it was in this big arena, and my entire system shut down. I couldn't talk to the people that I was with. We were with friends. I couldn't talk to my partner. I was just staring into space like I never did. Like I was never like that before. I didn't know what was happening. And it caused this major fight between me and my partner because she just thought, well, you know, why are you being so weird and you're being rude to our friends and why didn't you just stay home? And for me, I was like, I had no idea that this was going to happen and I still don't know what is happening and what is going on. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, the other experience was uh, my sister had a baby shower and at my parents' house with this, um, with a group of people I was very comfortable with historically. It was my immediate family, extended family, close family, friends. I used to love parties with these people. They'd be like, oh yeah, these are my people. I would swim between people, you know, like feel energized and excited and fulfilled. So when I walked to the door, I felt this tidal wave hit me of energy. It was like this cacophony of voices and bodies and the smell of food and the memories of this house and it just completely overwhelmed me in a way I hadn't felt before except at that roller derby experience and these were people that I knew so well so I was really I didn't know what was going on 
but I felt like I was suffocating. Like I just wanted to be in a quiet space by myself. And so I found a room where there weren't many people and I decided to start drinking wine because that was my main coping mechanism still. And that calmed my nervous system and then took the, it really took the edge off of my awareness so I could walk through the room and talk to people, but not be fully aware or not be receiving, or I didn't think like receiving as much stimulation or that stimulation was numbed at least. Um, and then running my shop, you know, there was so much stimulation from that and the sensitivity really helped me when I was going to thrift stores and finding stuff because I would sift through thousands of things, feeling and looking for subtleties that really jumped out at me and, uh, you know, from, from different fabrics to patterns and designs. And I loved it. I really thrived in that it felt fun and exciting. Um, but then also running the shop felt draining because the, uh, I started to realize that I was making myself, my energy available to everyone for, you know, 40 hours a week when I was open. So anyone who came through the door with whatever energy physically they were carrying or, um, not physically, I would absorb and it would just wipe me out. So then last year when I retreated to this bedroom in the woods um, out of the city and started making art here, my nervous system really relaxed in a new way. Um, And I just started to do this deeper reflecting and learning about what that even means to to have an activated nervous system. Um, And I started to practice paying attention to when it activated and then what I could do with it what I could do about it um, in healthy ways. And that's been an ongoing practice. And one of the moments that um, stuck out was when I was prepping for an art class uh, in the fall a few months ago. I was feeling really stressed. My reaction was to think about having a glass of wine when I was done with the class. And in that moment, I recognized that what was actually happening was that my nervous system was aroused and I was looking for a way to calm it down. So... I sat with that and I talked to myself through what some of my other options were besides having wine that I knew helped calm me down. So that was drinking tea, laying down on my bed, going for a walk outside. And that was a big shift um, in breaking that cycle and um, starting to practice healthier ways of regulating my nervous system and really just noticing and being attuned to when my sensitivity was kind of like out of whack. And um, last year after the, uh, like last summer, so during the pandemic, so, um, I took a class with a spiritual healer and trauma therapist named Myrie Morsey, who's in Australia. I took it online and that was for highly sensitive people, um, but had a spiritual approach to it. Um, and she talked about boundaries, how to set boundaries with ourselves and with other people and with the world, the aura empathy as a as a tool that we can use as sensitive people in different ways um uh picking up on multiple levels of information from people and what to do with that how to clear energy within our sensitive bodies and the gifts of sensitivity and how they can help transform and heal this troubled planet in many ways when we step into the full power of our sensitivity 
And I'd never heard anyone talk about sensitivity like that before. I mean, I really just had this book and some resources I was finding online, but um, that class was really life-changing because it really wove together what I had learned already through the book with this spiritual component. It was amazing. Um, so in my art practice, my sensitivity has been showing up with um, within like noticing subtle tones and colors and textures. So it may be, you know, if I hold two threads or two yarns, I'll notice the subtle textures. I also find that I crave certain textures. So like I have a, um, I have some different uh, tapestries hanging on my wall and sometimes I get the craving just to touch them or like the blankets on my bed are, there's one that's a, um, it's this woven indigo dyed block printed um, bedspread from India. And the other one is a um, cantha quilt from India as well. They both have very subtle and specific textures. So I will crave and often just like run my fingers over them. And there's something that just um, like feeds me about that. Um, also, the way that I've been listening deeply to the materials that I'm working with and what they want to do and slowing way down, um, I think that's my sensitivity at play, <laughs> literally at play, like playing with the materials. Um, and then diving deeply into these different mediums and exploring the nuances and subtleties within them. And also writing poetry and how that's been bubbling up through me. Um, and I feel like with the poetry, it's been um, that I've, you know, I'm going back into a memory and plucking out one image or one moment and then bringing it forward into the present moment on the page and then going back into another memory and finding one more component, one more thing, and then bringing that forward into the, onto the page and weaving them together. Um, but I don't think... I don't think it's a coincidence that the poetry has been emerging since my since I stopped drinking alcohol and since I've been really um, allowing my sensitivity to wake up so I can pick up even more information. Um, and I, I've noticed that my connection to nature is deepening too within my art practice. I'm receiving and hearing more subtle information from nature that's coming through my art. That's what the materials I'm using. But also when I'm out on walks, it's like I'm, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe, but it's like I'm just noticing and picking up on more. Um, and having conscious awareness of my sensitivity is empowering me to make choices that nurture it and that support me holistically rather than making choices like I did for so long that really harmed me and overstimulated me because I was unaware of what was going on. And this has changed my life, and it keeps changing my life. And I'm continuing to listen to that sensitivity and see it as a guide and a teacher in my life rather than something that I need to hide or numb or shame or change. Now that I'm embracing it, I'm noticing that my art practice is getting deeper and I think that my teaching practice is getting deeper and expanding more too. Um, and I feel like I'm just at the beginning of that. So we'll see what else happens. And I wanted to share all of this because I haven't talked about it much in my life. And I wonder if you are sensitive, highly sensitive too, or if you know someone who might be, maybe um, 
uh, you're the parent of a child or caregiver of a child who you think or you know is highly sensitive, maybe your partner is, maybe a parent or grandparent or I don't know, someone in your life. And since there are so many of us out there and I, I've been really hungry to find community around this, especially with other artists or creative people who are highly sensitive and who can talk about it or want to talk about it so we can feel less alone because I have definitely felt really alone in it and I don't like that anymore. I want to find and build community around it. So that was my motivation to share all of this and learning about highly sensitive people. It's helped me understand myself so much more, but also others and the world so much more. And it's really helping me make different choices about so many things, including how I'm spending my time, what I'm creating, what I expose myself to, what I'm feeding myself through the news and social media, and the impact that all of that has on me, and that I have agency. I have power. I I can make different choices that will lead to different impacts and that it doesn't all just have to happen without any say from me. So that's that's a big deal. <laughs> um, so I think I'll leave it there. I really hope you got something out of this episode. Um, I never know like with any of these who they're going to land with, who's going to listen, but I'm going to trust that I felt like I wanted to share this for a reason and that it'll resonate with whoever needs it at some point in the future whenever I put this out in the world. And if you want to respond or tell me if you have a story about being sensitive or, uh, I don't know, just have anything to share, feel free to email me through my website, emmafreemandesigns.com or on Instagram, you can send me a message. Um... And if not, but if you're just listening and feel some resonance, yay, we're in community with each other. And that's good. We need that. We all do, especially now during the pandemic and just feeling disconnected. And um, yeah, any, any ways we can form more deep and genuine and authentic connections with ourselves and each other, the better, right? All right. Thank you so much for listening and I will be back with another episode soon. Bye.